South Africa is a country where the news never stops. Breaking stories and the horrifying headlines that accompany them happen every single day. 2022 has been no different to any other year, and violent crime has again dominated our headlines. I'm Catherine Rice, a multimedia journalist for News24, and you're listening to The Story. This week, we're talking to Sheldon Marias, News24's editor for Breaking News, and later on, we'll also explore what's been happening on the climate change front. We'll be talking to News24 special journalist on climate change, Lamise Amaji, about an ever-important topic that is impacting our lives in a multitude of ways. Sheldon, thanks so much for your time. There's been no shortage of breaking news this year. One of the stories that really stands out for me is the Krugersdorp rapes. Can you tell us about that? What happened and how are investigations proceeding? Is there any hope of catching the perpetrators? Thanks, Catherine. So in terms of what the story was about, I mean, it was a horrific incident that broke on a Friday. As details emerged, we learned that it was a group of entertainers shooting a music video for an artist. And um, the scene where the actual crime happened, the rape, the robberies, was their last scene. They were shooting their last scene. It was near a mine dump outside Krugersdorp, which, you know, is is an old mining town. um, So it has a lot of mining relics around it, either disused mines, mine dumps and the like as well. It is home to illegal mining. So you've got these zamazamas, as they are called, who would go down into mine shafts. These are mine shafts that have been shelved. You know, that doesn't make commercial sense anymore to mine them, but these men go down. So what happened that day was this group that was filming at this um, mine dump in Krugerstorp were attacked by men who initially came out, started firing shots from what we understand from eyewitness testimony there. And then they split some of the, the, the women up and then proceeded to, to rape many of them. Not all of the women were raped, but those who were, were gang raped by some of the men. A truly horrific crime. And as detailed emer- details emerged, as our reporters went to the scene, you heard people who live in and around that area, to an area called West Village, saying, you know, th- th- they live in fear before this event incident took place because they they live in fear of these zamazamas so that's how the story in itself or the incident in itself unfolded obviously a lot of attention the country's attention was on Krugerstorp and and obviously the victims as well you know as stories start to merge about who they were what happened, the impact on them as well. Police sprang into action really quickly and conducted a series of raids over the next two weeks in and around West, the West Rand, targeting Zamazamas. In the end, they arrested over 80 men. Most of them initially were held on charges of being in the country illegally, illegal mining charges when the police raided the compounds where these men lived. Really rough conditions. They found these mining tools and instruments that they used for mining as well. And then soon after the arrests, we had the men appearing in court and police updating us and saying, you know, 14 of these people, 13 men and one minor, had been charged for the rapes of these women. And this was a, you know, significant progress in the case. But at that stage, little did we know that that only a few months later, those rape charges would actually be withdrawn against the men. So they, at the moment, they're only they, they're still in custody on the illegal uh, immigration uh, act charges. 
but they have not only have the, the charges been withdrawn, but these are not the men who, who perpetrated the rapes. So this is, this is a blow to the case. It's a blow to the victims. We spoke to a, num a number of the victims before the arrests, long before the arrests, about what happened, the producers as well, and then speaking to them again after these, this latest development with the rape charges being dropped and the devastation on their part, knowing that the men who, who did this are still out there and wondering if they ever will be caught. Are they spirited into the wind? never to be found again. So that is a big question facing the police. The police themselves were, and, and the NPA too, criticized for their actions. On what basis did you charge this, these men? As we were led to believe, it was, it was very much based on eyewitness testimony in identity parades. But when the DNA eventually came back, these men were conclusively excluded. So did police rush these arrests and the charging you know, to appease a public? that was outraged. So in terms of the hope uh, of these men being caught, you know, the hope always endures. And we know from the victims that just the incident itself is already traumatic, something that will live with them for the rest of their lives. And then having to come to terms with the fact that the men who, who, who did this uh, may never be brought to justice. There are certainly no shortage of horrific stories. There was also that story of the 21 teenagers who died in a tavern. Can you tell us about that story and where that is now? Oh, this was, this was yeah, as you mentioned, you know, uh, equally as, as tragic. Uh, and just the way in, in, in which it happened, you know, you've got these, these teenagers, all of them below, younger than the age of, of 18, at this tavern, and you know, for many people saying that this is indicative of the type of, of situation teenagers and youngsters face in townships. There's a lack of entertainment to keep them busy. There is, you know, a lack of, of policing as such, both by, by tavern owners as well as by the authorities of, of age restrictions. But the true tragedy is these young people losing their lives at a very uh, young age. I mean, they ho had their whole lives ahead of them. And what we understand happened on the day, uh, there were a lot of questions. Was it uh, alcohol that they consumed? Was that alcohol poisoned? Was it homemade alcohol? So there were a lot of questions. Ultimately, test results coming out and showing that it, it was probably some sort of a gas that they all inhaled. And that was the common a substance found in them uh, or trace evidence found in them and the thinking is at this stage that it was a generator that the tavern was using to, to, to keep the power going, to keep the lights on, entertainment on and that petrol fumes, fuel fumes from that generator is what caused these teenagers to die. Uh, the families, as you can uh, imagine, you know, distraught, looking for answers, not only knowing that their, their, their loved ones had died, but not being clear on, on what could have caused, you know, their deaths. And, you know, our reporter Malibongwe Daimane has been following it really closely, speaking to the families, speaking to eyewitnesses very soon after this incident happened about the harrowing moments in which, you know, you had these children collapsing, uh, other people being affected. Luckily, they had made it out. But, you know, the tragedy of the event, the harrowing moments that late that night when this when this tragedy struck, um, we do know that the, uh, the the tavern owner has been arrested and is facing 
charges in that matter. I think the evidence will go a long way to determining what type of charges. Was it only, you know, selling alcohol to, to underaged children or was there a greater negligence, you know, in terms of how this generator, if that is proven to be the source of the deaths, you know, in terms of how this generator was set up, why was it set up within the building structure itself? Was there ventilation? So there, there is a lot of focus on this and we're continuing to, to watch the case. It's still at quite an early stage and we're, we're hoping there'll be some sort of conclusion sometime in the, in, in the next year. Sheldon, child murders have also dominated the headlines. These are often the hardest for our journalists to cover. Do you think this year has been worse in terms of violent crime against children? And what about gender-based violence? Is there any sign that the ongoing campaigns about GBV are having any impact? Or is this just steadily getting worse? In one way, it's quite difficult to determine if it's getting worse. It may feel like it's getting worse. The perception may be there. And you've got around 1,200 children, just children who are killed in South Africa um, every year. And that's a, it's, it's a truly staggering number. Um, I mean, just a basic, you know, napkin maths. You're looking at about, you know, between three to four children killed in South Africa a day. And that is... That is truly harrowing. There's always the the element that, you know, are we just more aware of it now because of the likes of social media, because of families being more vocal, especially when children disappear, and hence we are more aware of it, although these child murders have been happening. You you know, I think the, the point isn't necessarily are they getting worse, it's that they're happening. So even if the numbers were to significantly decrease year on year, we're at such a high level that children are not safe. Uh, some of the, the cases which have made headlines this year have shown you know, children being kidnapped. You've had instances of ransoms. Now, whether it's just to extort money from, from rich families, whether it's you know, sick individuals who are targeting children because they are children. We've got a number of cases in court as well where children have been raped in the, in the process uh, of them being killed. I think that is where our true focus should be, highlighting these cases. I think that is an important step and not just the, oh, a child has been killed, but that was someone's daughter, it was someone's son. It's having an impact on the family and an impact that they're going to live with for, for the rest of their lives. And certainly from that point, it doesn't seem like any of the initiatives are working because you still have these cases happening on a daily basis. And I think when we look at the child murders, News24 did a broader look at it recently following a recent kidnapping and, and murder. Uh, the, the, the high rates, if you were to uh, you know, compare it with world benchmarks, you know, are still significantly high. And we recently had the Gender-Based Violence Summit led by the president, you know, and the harrowing tales and the, de- and the despair and the pleading from ordinary uh, citizens for something to be done, whether it's initiatives, whether it's marketing, whether it's you know policing on the ground, whether it's other types of initiatives, you know, but something needs to be done. One doesn't really know if there'll ever be an end in sight. Sheldon, what are some of the breaking stories of 2022 that really stood out for you personally? Sure, Catherine. As you as you rightfully mentioned, you know, in a country like South Africa, there's news breaking breaking all the time. 
the ones that you that we've spoken about uh, already are certainly some standout cases. One other story that you know stands out in my mind is I cast my my memory back to February, and we got word on a Monday afternoon of a massive shootout in Rosettenville, just outside the Johannesburg CBD. And, you know, police were on the scene. And you, geez, what is the standoff? And as we got more information and we had a reporter who had a unique vantage point, having got a tip off quite early into the incident, he was able to then get, a, uh, you know, this, this unique vantage point where we were able to keep our readers updated, rolling coverage of what was happening there. We got another two reporters out to the scene. We had, you know, a team in the office supporting them because this was truly a story that was unfolding as we were, were for those reporters who were there, as they were watching it, for us in the office, as we were working through it. And that really stood out. And you had witnesses afterwards telling our reporters about how they were ducking under their beds because the gunmen were in their yards. These were men who were armed with AK-47s and really heavy weaponry um, firing at police. Uh, a number of, of people died that day. A number of police officers were shot uh, and were later taken to hospital for, you know, where they recovered. But it really was this shootout this movie shootout unfolding on a Monday afternoon in real time. And, you know, it really was a battleground of, of the year. Uh, another one was the arrest of the Johannesburg arsonist, this man who had been terrorizing parts of northern Joburg. I mean, it, it, it really makes for a, a true crime movie. You had this man, not much was known about him. He was caught on camera. He would often go into homes, spend some time there, eat his, his victim's food before setting the, the homes alight. And in one instance, there was actually one of the residents happened to be home. And he died uh, as a result of his, his, his injuries and the smoke inhalation uh, s sustained during that fire. He died later in hospital. And then you had this active inter uh, investigation looking for this man over a number of years. And it just so happened that in, in late September, early October, he was arrested. And how he was arrested was that someone close to him was scorned. And they then said to the police, look, I, I believe that this person in my life is the arsonist that you're looking for, for these reasons. And it was, you know, police eventually were able to track him down. I think he was about to, uh, he was, you know, on his way home. And they, they arrested him. And he's now before the courts. The case is ongoing, still at a very early stage. But it really was this this bizarre case that had, you know, plagued Northern Joburg, had people scared for, for a number of years. And through good detective work and a bit of luck, police were able to arrest this man. And that truly was the, the breaking of his arrest was, was, was truly quite something. And our, our, our reporter, Alex Patrick, uh, has been following the case for a number of years and will continue to do so. And, you know, she brought us great detail of how the police were actually able to, to track this man down and arrest him uh, for him to face those, those charges before a court of law. Well, exactly. And at least in that case, there was some resolution, there was an arrest, and um, he's behind bars. So thank you so much for that, Sheldon. And thank you for all the breaking news that you bring to our readers. That was Sheldon Marias, News 24 editor for Breaking News.
We're now joined by News 24's sustainability reporter, Lamise Omaji. Lamise, thanks so much for your time. This year, News 24 created an entire section on stories about climate change. Why do you think it's so important? Hi, Catherine. I think this change on our site just speaks to the times we are living in, and that is the climate crisis is real. We recognize that there are extreme weather events like the floods in Pakistan and the drought in the Horn of Africa, which has been described as the worst one in 40 years. And all these weather events have direct and indirect effects on human life. For example, the drought is impacting food security and the livelihoods of farmers in the region. Kenyan journalists have also just documented how cattle are being sold off for next to nothing, you know, just before they die of starvation. And we also saw the spread of disease with cholera outbreaks that followed the Pakistan floods. At News24, we wanted to highlight the reality of climate change, but also the climate future section is a space to talk about solutions to the crisis. You know, how can farmers adapt their farming for drought or how can we use renewables to not only reduce greenhouse gas emissions that contribute to climate change, but also to solve the problem of energy poverty in Africa. It's important to also spread the message of the solutions because readers do not have to despair and we can adapt to these changes. Lamise, what are some of the big stories this year that were linked to climate change? You've already touched on Pakistan and the floods, but what are some of the, the stories in South Africa that you, could, um, that you could tell us about? I think for South Africa, it was probably the KwaZulu-Natal floods in April and the floods in Eastern Cape. Maybe I'm wrong, but For me, that was the first time I probably heard the president and ministers talking about climate change as the reason for these things happening. And I think at that point, there was a general acknowledgement that South Africa is affected by climate change too. It's a global phenomenon, but I think that experience might have made climate change less abstract. Um, We saw over 400 people losing their lives and, you know, stories of family members unable to bury their dead and properly grieve because they were just dealing with this trauma and there's the displacement of people imagine losing your home in an instant and that is the extent of the damage uh, that climate change brought the other major news story uh, for south africa was probably around our just energy transition investment plan that was developed by the presidential climate finance task team And it included some consultation uh, with civil society, but there are some criticisms that the process wasn't consultative enough. But basically, this plan is our government's golden response to climate change. It's about South Africa taking bold steps to reduce greenhouse gas emissions in the sectors which produce the most emissions, and that's electricity and transport. And it it follows on a pledge for $8.5 billion from developed nations the US, UK, EU, Germany and France, which we've written a lot about. These countries are offering us financial support so we can do our bit to, you know, respond to climate change. But the $8.5 billion is not enough. Uh, in South Africa, we estimate we need about $1.5 trillion for the next five years to roll out that plan. And, and that involves decommissioning our coal-fired power stations, rolling out renewables, retraining our workers in the coal sector so that they can participate in the renewable energy industry. So beyond 2027, we'll need much more money. And that brings me to the third issue, which is the availability of climate finance for developing nations to respond to the crisis. This is 
a huge talking point at the UN Climate Summit or COP27 this year. South Africa is among the nations that is advocating for a funding mechanism to be set up for developing nations to benefit from so that they can respond to uh, climate change impacts like that we saw in Pakistan. Lamise, if we don't take climate change seriously, what are the repercussions we could face? So the extreme weather events we are already experiencing are just going to increase and they're going to become more intense. We saw with the KwaZulu-Natal floods, the World Weather Attribution uh, did an analysis on it to see how they could attribute it to climate change. And they found that because of climate change, this was basically a one in 40 year event that turned into a one in 20 year event. So that's generally what would happen. Think of it more loss and damage um, from all these extreme weather events that are waiting for us. Is the South African government doing enough to mitigate the impact of climate change? I think a lot is riding on our Just Energy Transition Investment Plan. It's focused on making our economy less carbon intensive. We know South Africa is the biggest emitter on the continent, and we have actually faced criticisms for industrializing on the back of fossil fuels. So the successful implementation of that plan is going to be huge in terms of our climate action. At COP27, Minister Barbara Creasy actually made a remark um, that South Africa did what it does best, and that is to make a plan. But now the real test or the real action will come from implementing that plan. And that rests on us getting the finance for it. From legislative perspective, we have the Climate Change Bill, which is before Parliament, South Africa is a signatory to the Paris Agreement of 2015. Uh, This is a non-binding agreement uh, by over 190 countries to fulfill uh, certain climate commitments. So once this climate change bill is passed, it will give a regulatory force to those commitments we made under the Paris Agreement, uh, which is very specific, um, like we have said we would reduce our emissions to within a certain range. Um, and, and that's just one of the, the things I think is important because when it's in legislature, um, it also kind of helps the public to hold government to account. And can we do more? I think we can always have more ambition. And if I had power, you know, if I was a politician, I would probably make a rule to block oil and gas exploration because these are fossil fuels which produce emissions. But, you know, the message from our government has been different. Um, They see it as part of economic development. But I think if we were more ambitious, we wouldn't even go there. Well, let's hope those plans and policies are implemented. Thank you so much for your time. That was Lamisa Margi, a sustainability reporter for News24. That's all we have time for this week. I'm Catherine Rice, and you've been listening to The Story.